All right, turn your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Matthew, chapter 28, very familiar passage of Scripture. Matthew, chapter 28, we're going to begin reading at verse 18. Matthew, chapter 28, and verse 18. Notice the Scripture says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore. Stop right there for a moment. He just made a statement. All power is given unto me. So he says, go ye therefore. Because verse 18 is true. This is something you're to do. This is something we're to do. Go ye therefore. Because all power is given to him. We're to go. We're not done. And teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. I want to preach this morning about the completeness of the Great Commission. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus And I beg you, Heavenly Father, for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God, that you'd take your word deep into our hearts. If there's any here without Christ, may they realize today this is what our commission is all about, to bring them to the Savior, to the knowledge of Christ and eternal life. Father, I pray for believers today. Challenge our hearts that this not be just another church service, but where we actually get a hold of the spiritual truth of this call by our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Father, we'll thank you as you work upon us, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, Jesus had already died on the cross, was buried, and rose three days later from the dead. Between that time, the time of his resurrection, and the time of his ascension up into heaven, you have 40 days. Five times we find Jesus giving, in perhaps a little different forms, But in each of the first five books of the Bible, we have the mention of this commission to believers to go out and to spread the gospel to others. Now, you realize at the time that Jesus said this, there were only about 500 followers that we would know of because they saw the Lord Jesus Christ after his resurrection, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But there weren't very many. As a matter of fact, During the 10 days from the ascension of Christ until the coming of Pentecost when the disciples would go out and start winning people to Christ, we find that only 120 were meeting in the upper room and praying. They'd been given a great commission, but they'd also been given a command. And that command was that they were to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until they'd be endued with power from on high. Now think about it for just a moment. Back when the Great Commission was given, there was only just a few million people on the planet, not very many at all. And, uh, but still, it's a big planet. And the commission was to go into all nations. We had a command. They had a command to get the gospel to everybody. Mark chapter 16 and verse 15, where the scripture says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The world's a big place, and they didn't have cars, and they didn't have planes. There were boats, but not many that would sail from one continent to another. 
How in the world is this going to be accomplished? To get the message to everybody. And today, we've got billions of more people on the planet than they had back then. Our job is even greater than what it was when Jesus gave the command to his disciples. So this is, this is a gigantic task now. It was a gigantic task back then, but it's even bigger today. And the command has not changed. Our responsibility has only increased. You understand that church is not about coming together and feeling better about ourselves. Now, there are a lot of places that are called churches that you can go to, and that is the entire emphasis of their church service, getting your greatest potential out for your own life. No, actually, here we get fed the Word of God so we can go out and do what Jesus told us to do, to bring the lost to the Lord Jesus. It's still our great commission. I cannot find any place in the Scripture where the church was to ever stop and simply enjoy the fruits of their past labors. We're still commanded to win the lost. When I went to Bible college, and a couple of you went to Tennessee Temple as well, you'll remember that during their missions conferences, they would have a big, they put a bunch of counters together, like the basketball things, and they would be counting off the number of deaths from the very beginning of the conference until the end of the conference. And that number would get higher and higher with each day. Hey, today, there's almost two deaths for every one second. Do you realize over 170,000 people die every day around the world? And most of those people die without ever hearing a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I would say that we are failing in our task. You've heard me say about 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34. It's one of those verses that troubles my own heart. For the Bible says there, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. When that was written to the church of God at Corinth, it was only a three-year-old church. And it was the only church in town. And they didn't even have printing presses. Not only that, they didn't even have a full New Testament yet. It wouldn't finish being given to them until about 100 A.D. with the final writing of the book of the Revelation. As a matter of fact, all five books written by the Apostle John weren't written for mankind's consumption until about 90 A.D. as far as any of them at all. So when these men went out to preach, they didn't have all the Scripture yet, and yet they still had the responsibility to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And when I think about that verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34, that church at Corinth was only in a city of about 800,000 people. They were only three years old. And because there were some in the city that didn't have the knowledge of God, he says, I say this to your shame. Madison Baptist Church will be celebrating not our third anniversary, but our 39th anniversary. Our, the size of our county is probably a little more than half of what the size of Corinth was. Are there people here that have not the knowledge of God? And the answer definitely is yes, there is. Then what would he say to us?
Our responsibility is dramatically urgent to get the gospel to a lost and dying world. As dawning as what this task is, you add to it the rise of false religions like Islam, like Buddhism, Hinduism, shamanism, communism, false Christendom, because truly there's a bunch that preach another gospel of Jesus Christ, not the gospel that's found in the word of God. And the mass, commu- uh, the, the mass confusion that is put out there thanks to the internet, something that no other generation of the church has ever had to deal with, where there are many, many voices out there presenting all kinds of messages. No wonder so many people are so totally confused. Can it be possible that he would still expect us today to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature? Could it be possible that when he said this in verse 28, go ye therefore and teach all nations, that he still means for us to do that? Well, when you look at the completeness of this command given by the Lord Jesus Christ, it becomes obvious that we are responsible. And we do have a job to do, and it's not to sit at ease in Zion. I fear, especially in the last few years of what's come about with the pandemic, that we're content to leave our religion simply inside the four walls of our house. And that's not where it's commanded to stay. We're commanded to get it out to everybody. So I want you to notice the completeness of the Great Commission. First of all, our strength. You say, preacher, how in the world could we possibly get this done? Well, it's verse 18 that gives us the key. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Now, he's got a command he's going to give them. How are we going to have the power to do it? Jesus says, In me. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Everything that we need is in him. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. John 15.5, Jesus said, without me ye can do nothing. The key is being in Jesus Christ. It is not our power it is his power and when you look at what the scripture says about his power for instance john chapter 1 beginning in verse 1 he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and the same was in the beginning with god all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made the word who is god that word who came in the flesh, Jesus Christ, created all that is out of nothing. Man thinks he can do something because he can blow up a world. I got news for you. God created it all. And by the way, I want you to look at this. Turn over to Hebrews uh, for just a moment. Hebrews chapter 1. What a powerful statement is made about the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 1, we'll begin reading at verse 1, where the Bible declares God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, 
whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Who, speaking of Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. It's not only Jesus who created all that is, but not only that, he holds it together. He keeps it together. It is according to his will for how he keeps it together. Oh, we know out in space there are asteroids that fly into different things. And we're trying to come up with some kind of program now. I noticed that we sent up a satellite to fly into an asteroid to try to divert it so we can learn how to keep this world from being destroyed. Well, one day it's going to be destroyed, and I don't care what they invent. But it's not going to be destroyed until God does it. And they won't be able to stop him. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. He's created all things. Not only that, he holds all things together. Remember the old spiritual, he's got the whole world in his hands. And boy, there's truth to that, but it's not just the world. He's got anything that is in his hands. He is the one who holds it together. Not only that, he's already conquered our greatest enemy. I want you to turn to it. I could quote it, but turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want you to notice beginning in verse 54. This whole chapter deals with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 54, he says, For when this corruptible shall have put an incorruption, and this mortal shall have put an immortality, then shall be... uh, Let's say, mortals shall put on immortality. Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This week when we got word that Miss Delhay found her mother dead this week. I called the family and was talking to them, and they were rejoicing in the truth that she had trusted Christ as her Savior. And so they knew where she was at. They knew that when she closed her eyes in death, she opened them up in heaven, and seeing God and seeing Jesus and being in the place where there's no more pain nor death nor suffering, what rejoicing. How can you say that, preacher? Because Jesus has conquered death and hell and the grave. He's conquered sin. Hallelujah. That's enough. You know, I don't care how long you live on this earth. It's just basically nothing in light of all eternity. I saw a sign one day, it said, it's not that life is so short, it's that being dead is so long. And that's true. But thank God for those who have Jesus Christ as their Savior. After death, they were with the Father for eternity. And those that don't know Christ are like the rich man that Jesus talked about in Luke chapter 16, who died and was buried, and in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment. And do you realize that rich man is still there and he's still in torment today, crying for one drop of water to cool his tongue. 
On the cross of Calvary, Jesus took our sins upon himself. The one person ever put on the planet that didn't deserve to die was Jesus Christ. For the wages of sin is death, and he knew no sin. He had no sin. He never disobeyed God one time. He didn't deserve to die. But when God put his son on the cross of Calvary, he also put our sins on his son. And by the shedding of his blood, thank God, those sins have been paid for. What a great Savior we have. Hallelujah. And he's the one who says, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Wow, that's a lot of power. You say, we got a tremendous job to do. We do have a tremendous job to do. And he's got all the power for us to get it done. You say, well, man, there's just no way that our bank account could take care of all the world. We don't have to worry about our bank count. We just get busy with what we got. God will give us more to get more done. Because it's his power that we're working on, not on our power. You say, well, we need a better presentation of the gospel. No, we need to give the gospel. And the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We've got a message. We don't change the message. That's his message. It's his gospel. And any other gospel is an abomination to God. So we look at his power. We look, he is our strength. And that's all that we need. Not only that, we see our strategy. As he says here in the passage, let me get back to Matthew chapter 28. He says, go ye therefore and notice and teach all nations. All nations. We're not to leave anybody out. Everybody's to get it. In Mark 16, 15, he breaks it down even more. When he says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You say, well, what about Muslims? Every Muslim. What about Hindus? Every Hindu. What about, what about the voodoo folks? Every voodoo folk. Everyone that's out there, we've got a responsibility to give the gospel to them. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, this is plain. Everybody out there is the right person to give a gospel tract to. Everybody out there is the right person to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot give the gospel to a wrong person. Now, you might ask, well, what if they're already saved? They'll be glad that you talked to them. They'll be glad that you were concerned about their soul. So don't be afraid of it. Matter of fact, I have found that some of the, I I, I guess some of the people that have been less than nice when we've tried to witness to them are people who are professing Christians, unfortunately, probably not possessing Christians. That's why they get mad. They get mad because it shows them for what they are. But I don't know about you, but for everybody who's gone out, I've had numbers of people who said, hey, I'm already saved. Thank you for telling me. Thank you for being concerned about my soul. As a matter of fact, I can only remember two times in the 50 years that I've been saved that someone has come up to me to try to witness to me since I've been saved. 
in 50 years. I mean, you can't tell by looking at people in McDonald's who saved and who isn't. Or at Walmart even, you can't tell. Especially at Walmart, you can't tell. But all races, all nations, all social classes, all cultures, all skin colors, all languages, everyone. We're not to leave out anybody whatsoever. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the world. Everywhere, all places, all people there to be witness to. Now, what's interesting is that when you get to Acts chapter 8, unfortunately, in the early years of the disciples spreading the gospel, the only people they went to were Jews. And God had to send them persecution to leave Jerusalem to even begin to witness to people outside of Judah. And he used Saul of Tarsus to persecute them to get them moving, to get them to do what he had called them to do, to go out. But according to Acts chapter 10, even in the first while when they had left Jerusalem under the persecution, they still only talked to Jews. That's why the Bible says in chapter 11 of the book of Acts, and they were called Christians first at Antioch. Not at Jerusalem. Now, that doesn't mean the people at Jerusalem weren't Christians. I'm just simply saying they were called Christians first because the message wasn't just for the Jews. It was to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And they had stopped at first. They hadn't gone on to the rest of what their responsibility was. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 19 is where it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but the Jews only. So here we've got a command. And, and man, we're proud of this. We're proud of the fact that we've had over 40 people that have surrendered to mission work over the years. And uh, today we have 26, is it 26? Uh, who are out there doing mission work out of Madison Baptist Church. As churches go, that's a lot of families to go out into missions. But you understand, we're not reaching the world. Now, we do support about another 70 or 80 other missionary works around the world, but we're still not reaching the world. You know, you can't do too much in this matter of getting the gospel to a lost and dying world because this is the completeness of the entire thing. Our strategy is simply all people, everywhere, whoever we run into, whether it's in our neighborhood or just out and about, we're to do it. Because the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In 1 Timothy 2, 4, he says that he would have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In 1 John 2, 2, it says, And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, we not only have our strength here, and we not only see our strategy, but we see our scope. For notice what he says in verse 20. Teaching them to observe all things. Now, wait. 
We teach them, first of all, to be disciples, to know him, that they could take Christ as their Savior. Well, what do you do when they get saved? We teach them to observe all things. There are a lot of churches, they, they seem to think that the Bible is a cafeteria that you go through, it's buffet. It's like Golden Corral. You go through and you pick what you want and leave what you don't want. No, we're to teach them to observe all things whatsoever he commanded us. You know, the Bible's written an awful lot about how we're supposed to live. Well, guess what? When a person gets saved, he needs to be taught how to live as a Christian. Things that he shouldn't do. Things that he should do. You look at the scripture and we have some commands in the scripture. For instance, uh, the Bible says this. It says, uh, as right here in the passage, he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever. Well, let me back up before that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. The first thing that Jesus commands a person to do after they get saved is to be baptized. Now, you don't get baptized and get saved. You get saved, then you get baptized. Why? Because baptism is a picture of the death. When you stand in the water, you picture Jesus standing on the cross. Then you're put under the water. That pictures his burial. And then you rose up out of the water, and that pictures his resurrection. It is literally a public declaration that you have trusted in the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A public, a public declaration. There are countries like India among the Hindus. You know, since they have millions of gods, they don't mind if you say you're a Christian. But let me tell you something. You follow the Lord in baptism, your whole family will disown you. You come from a family of Hindus. You can lose your job. You can lose your place, not just in society, but among your own family. Because when you get baptized... You're not worshiping now millions of gods. You are declaring to them that there's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. I mean, it is a statement that can cost you greatly. Now, let's just walk through the Bible a little bit. Go over to uh, Acts chapter 2. Here we are on the day of Pentecost. Peter, and not just Peter, but others have been preaching as well. And you'll notice in Acts chapter 2, I'll begin at verse 41. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. So here Peter and the others are preaching. 3,000 come to Christ. And what did they do? They all got baptized. All right, let's go over to Acts chapter 8. I'm going to skip over some of these. We don't have time to read them all today. But Acts chapter 8 and verse 12. Philip is up in Samaria and he is preaching the gospel. And the Bible says, but when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then you go over to Acts chapter 8 and verse 35. Philip has gone out into the countryside, and there he wins the Ethiopian eunuch to Christ. And I want you to notice in verse 35, And Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture, preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. 
What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now that Ethiopian eunuch had been reading from Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53 is a tremendous prophecy. The entire chapter concerning the coming of Jesus Christ and what his work would be. Like in verse 5, he was wounded for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Well, Philip tells him, that's Jesus. That is a prophecy written 700 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem that he would come, die in our place, pay the penalty for our sin, be raised from the dead three days later. And he said, it's Jesus. And after telling him that, the man says, well, what hinders me from being baptized? You see, you just don't get baptized. You got to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ because you're not going to heaven till you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that'd be like a person saying, you know, I want to join the Navy. But he hasn't joined the Navy. And he puts on the uniform and walks around like he's in the uniform. Uh, Listen, I don't know if you can get in trouble for that or not. But I do know this. It would be a lie. That uniform would tell everybody he's in the Navy when he's not in the Navy. I don't care how much he's planning to join the Navy. He's not in it. It's a lie. For a person to get baptized and they've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, it's a lie. They're still lost. Baptism is for those who believe. And so notice what took place when he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It says in verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water. By the way, if sprinkling was baptism, there was no reason to go into the water. Baptism, there's only one way to do it, and that is to be put down into the water and brought up out of the water. As a matter of fact, it says in verse 39, and when they were come up out of the water... Baptism, again, pictures the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We find it happening in chapter 16. As a matter of fact, go to chapter 10 for just a moment. When Peter goes to the household of Cornelius and he preaches to the household of Cornelius, he gets to the end of his message, verse 43, and the scripture says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, Whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. Now notice, while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then answered Peter, Can any man forbid water that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Ghost as well as we? You can't receive the Holy Ghost unless you're saved. He just told them how to get saved. He believed. They were then uh, filled by the Holy Ghost. And so Peter tells the Jews that are with him, Can anybody here forbid these people from being baptized? They're Gentiles. But obviously, they've just believed. I love this next verse, verse 47. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 48. And he commanded them 
to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Notice that word commanded. He didn't ask them to pray about it. He didn't send them home and say, think about it. He commanded them to be baptized. Peter, where do you get off commanding these people to be baptized? Because that's exactly what Jesus commanded the disciples to do. Now, whereas the Bible in the book of Acts does not record the baptism of every individual got saved, let me tell you what it does not record at all. It doesn't record one person believing, getting saved, and refusing to be baptized. Not one. Not one. It's amazing. You say, preacher, I'm scared of the water. He'll keep you from drowning. I don't know how many, how many hundreds upon hundreds that we have baptized in the pulpit at Madison, or in the baptistry at Madison Baptist Church, whether it's here or over at the other building, but we've never lost one. We've never had one carried off to the hospital. They've all made it. The just shall live by faith. You can trust us. And now we have a bigger and stronger guy baptizing than me. Guess what? Not a problem. Matter of fact, I still remember the day we had two Huntsville policemen get baptized. One of those was Brian Crane. Some of you will remember that. Big old Brian. Uh, he was about six foot six, weighed 320 pounds, and most all that weight was up here, and not a bit of it was fat. Boom. And here's little old me. He's still alive. I didn't lose him. Amen. Got a lot of comments being made right now. (laughs) I'm just simply saying, teaching them to observe all things. That's one of the things we're supposed to observe. Supposed to get baptized after you get saved. Not in order to go to heaven. Can you go to heaven without being baptized? Absolutely. Because you get saved by taking Christ as your Savior. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But after you do that, then you follow the Lord in baptism. It's what Peter was commanded to do. So one of those things is baptism. How about this? People ought to be taught to assemble with the assembly. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. You know, everywhere the Apostle Paul went, where he had people saved, he started a local New Testament church. Church of uh, the uh, book of the Revelation is written to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And in chapter 1, Jesus is found in the midst of the church. Man didn't begin the church. Jesus began. The Bible says, husbands of your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. He died on the cross for the church. Well, notice in chapter 10, and we'll begin at verse 24. The Bible says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. We are to meet together. The very word that's translated church is a word that means a called out assembly. We are called out to assemble together. And that's how God feeds us 
That's how he takes care of us. Go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 4 is what I want. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. You're doing a good job listening. I appreciate it. And I'll get done before the day's out. It says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Notice, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building up of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, under the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Hard to believe, but one of the major networks in the story I don't know if it was yesterday or when they had it, actually had a story about angel numbers. Now, when I saw that angel numbers, I I don't normally go past the headlines. I decided, what's an angel number? Angel numbers are special numbers. They're special to you. They're an angel number. And the article, now this is done in a, in, a, in a secular news organization talking about how these numbers are special and it gets back to biblical numerology. And I thought it's interesting. Here's a network talking about biblical numerology and they don't even believe the Bible as they read it. Why in the world would you believe a number that somebody made up the meaning to it? Now, God gives us the meaning of the number 666. It's the number of the Antichrist. And he tells us that six is the number of man. But beyond that, all other numbers, like the number of a generation. I've heard it as 20. I've heard it as 35. I've heard it as 40. You know why we don't know how long a generation is? God doesn't say it. So why would we worry about it? The secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but the things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever that we may do all the words of this law. You don't have to worry about those things that God doesn't say anything about. You better worry and be concerned about what he clearly says. That's enough to keep us busy. When we get that down, maybe we can be concerned about some of this other stuff. But it's a matter of just being faithful to the house of God and being with God's people teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Now, you know how I feel about live streaming, and we're doing it right now. Live streaming, I think, is for those who can't get out. If they can get out, they ought to be in the house of God. And especially, if they can go to Walmart, they can come to church. They can have their their weekly hair done. They can be in church. Amen. I don't know why they think people only get COVID in church. Matter of fact, I saw an article this week. I'll just share this with you quick. I saw an article this week that said that after that second uh, uh, variant among the uh, yeah, boosters is part of this, by the way, the second variant of the COVID thing, that they, Oxford started keeping numbers. They came out with a report that those that had, had two boosters were 44% more likely to catch COVID than the rest of the population. 
So I want people who get the, the, the second and third boosters, I want them to wear a mask to keep me safe. <laughs> Amen. Because they're more likely than I am to get it. Amen. <laughs> Boy, somebody, you can see the wheels start turning, you know what I mean? Okay. We see our, <laughs> we see all, all power, our strength. Our strategy, all people, our scope, all things, and our serenity. I love this. Look at the last part of this. Go back to Matthew chapter 28. He says, and lo, I am. Not I will be with you. I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. No matter where we go, he has promised to be with us. When Paul was in jail at Philippi, God was in jail with him. When Paul was on the boat bound for Rome in a stormy sea after two weeks, God was still there. There are battles to face, but no matter what battles we face, he'll go with us. And he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Then let's be busy. I read about Dr. A.J. Gordon. Dr. Gordon was born in about, I think, 1836, something like that. And that A.J., by the way, I never knew this, so I was just reading up on it this week on him. Uh, but A.J. stands for Adoniram Judson. He was named after Adoniram Judson. He was a Baptist, uh, came from a Baptist home. And uh, he was preparing to preach a Sunday message. One Saturday night, he was at his desk, and he fell asleep at his desk. Well, better to fall asleep while you're preparing than while you're preaching, isn't that right? But while he, was, while he was asleep, he had a dream. He had a dream that the next morning, he was in the service, he was getting up to preach, and he saw in the back of a figure walk in that just his very presence demanded attention. And a deacon came up to him and brought him to a seat there in the auditorium and sat him down. And the whole time he was preaching, he was thinking about that one man that had come in. And he preached through his message, and he couldn't wait. When he got done with the message, he tried to make his his way back to that man who had come in, but he couldn't find him. He went up to the deacon. He said, that man that you seated, I, I, I wanted to talk to him. Do you know who he was? Now, this is in his dream. And the deacon said, yes, he was Jesus Christ. He said, but I wanted to talk to him. Deacon said, that's all right. He'll be back next week. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. He went to church that day realizing, you know, he's always here. The reality of that did something to his heart and soul where there was a fervor. As he got up to speak that day and he tried to share the truth of that with his congregation, that lo, he is with us always, even unto the end of the world. He's here. He sees who's here. He knows who's here. He hears what's going on. That's why in the service, we are to bring honor and glory to his name at all times. Oh, we have a wonderful Savior who's given us a great commission. He's given us, he is our strength, He gives us our scope, everything that we are to do. He is all that we need as we spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps there's someone here today 
who's never taken Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that Jesus died on the cross to pay your sins, was buried and rose from the dead, and offers you the free gift of eternal life. And all you have to do to get it is receive him as your Savior. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He puts it this way, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What a marvelous promise. And for those of us who've already trusted Christ as Savior, the work is not over. We'll work, as the songwriter said, till Jesus comes. We'll work. The job is now. It's a great commission that he has given us. And we should be doing all that we can to fulfill it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus. Please deal with our hearts. If there's any here without Christ, convict them of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment that they turn to Jesus and be saved today. Lord, for us Christians, may we have a renewed commitment to do our part in reaching the lost with this glorious gospel. For I ask it in Jesus' name.